Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnar Blog. James, a very, 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 very goodly morning to you. A very goodly morning to you, and a very goodly morning to all the listeners out there as well. <laughs> Absolutely, we should uh, we should include them in the goodliness because it does feel like a, a particularly goodly morning. Um, you know what, though, I've got a really it, I've got a really itchy finger. The outside itchy of finger. yeah, the outside of my right index finger is really itchy. So if people hear scratching noises during the podcast, that's what it is. That's interesting, and I I say this because last night the inside of my itchy finger, the inside of my index finger was itching. Right, maybe we should Mm. just rename them the index finger to itchy finger. That could be the new name for it. Maybe. I don't know. Somehow our fingers are are reaching out to each other. Yeah, it's, it's something cosmic going on here. It's a small price to pay. It is indeed. It is indeed. Um, I, I take it you enjoyed the weekend? Very much so. Mm. Very much so. And in fact, the positioning of that game, uh, a lunchtime kickoff, I, I was worried about it because if it goes the wrong way, obviously, that's the whole weekend gone. You know, at least if it's the Sunday afternoon, you could have a nice Saturday. But with it going as well as it did, I had a smile on my face, you know, well, until this very moment. All right. And then w- what's changed now? Are you still smiling or...? No, the, the finger stuff, really. I'm now worried about what's wrong with us. I'm Googling frantically itchy finger symptoms, wondering what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe maybe it's the, the start of some kind of a plague that will uh, that will end the world. Yeah. But look, at least we go out on a high. At least high. we're documenting it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. We leave a digital archive for people. What was it that caused the uh, the end of the humanity? End of yeah, it was these, these, these two guys talking about Arsenal. They had itchy fingers and then somehow it spread. Um, yeah, maybe it is. I guess everyone is sitting there. If you talk about things itching, all of a sudden, you know, things start to itch as well, don't they? So people listening to this now will be going, oh, I've got an, oh, I've got an itch now somewhere as well, on my head or face or what have you. So this is, a, this is going to be a very scratchy podcast. But look, as you say, it's a small price to pay for what was a really, really enjoyable weekend, a really enjoyable Arsenal performance, a really enjoyable Arsenal win, some very, very enjoyable Tottenham griping about the, uh, the result. Uh, I, mm. I enjoy that too. You know, there is that there is that thing, you know, you, you, you obviously enjoy it from an Arsenal point of view, but it is made better when other people are unhappy and very publicly unhappy, like Maurizio Pochettino was after the game. He, he, he couldn't hide his unhappiness at some of the, the refereeing decisions. And, uh, well, that just made me laugh. That made me enjoy it all the more. 
Yeah, I think as well, given the the kind of climate that had existed around Spurs heading into the game, the amount of praise that had been put upon them and Pochettino in particular, I think to see him looking as grumpy as he was uh, by the end of the game was 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 enjoyable. Mm. And, and ultimately, like you know, I think. I don't think anyone could dispute that we were the better team on the day and that we deserved to get the result. But the fact that there was stuff in it that really irritated them in terms of the officiating, I actually I quite enjoyed that, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly in the wake of what happened to us at Manchester City, what happened to us at Stoke mm. as well. You know, there, I saw Mustafi talking about it after the game and he was very much, well, look, you know, sometimes it goes for you, sometimes it goes against you. But yeah, I think you're right. In the whole context of the game and the build-up to the game, you know, I read somewhere, I don't know where it was, James, I read somewhere that, like, if you were to make a combined 11, that it would be all all Spurs players. I don't know where I saw that, but, you know, I, yeah. I just think that kind of... That kind of uh, atmosphere or analysis of the two teams, you know, to an extent you can understand it. You know, Arsenal fans, we were going into this game, we were a bit nervous. You know, we haven't been convincing uh, on a consistent mm. basis this season and Tottenham, I guess, have been, you know, pretty good by their standards. I do wonder if there is an element of that, you know, that 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 people talk them up and talk them up as great because they're doing so much better than than they normally do. You know, we've had 20-odd years of Tottenham being, well, not 20-odd years, clearly we've had a lifetime of Tottenham being, you know, bang average. Do you think there is an element of that, that now that they're just a little bit better than they were, people people are overstating how good they are? <sighs> Sorry, I was just enjoying some delicious tea. Oh, there. hang on. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> hang on. Um, mm. Mm. Ah, that's some good tea. Oh, if only people mm. could see me now. I'm, I'm winking. I'm doing a little <laughs> wink at, at the microphone. Careful, here. Andrew. Careful. You're being very highly provocative. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that yeah. winking, at, uh, winking over a tea. <laughs> you, you could start a war if you're not careful. Um, listen, I think you're right. I think that uh, the fact that the dynamic has shifted considerably and it has you know if you look at the past 20 years the the present moment is kind of the outlier in that respect and I, th- I suppose that's a talking point and it leads to you know people praising Spurs for kind of closing that gap as it were or making yeah. up that ground um, however you know if you look at the tangibles be that trophies for example there is still a significant distance between the two clubs yeah um, I mean, I don't think anyone's pretending that Spurs haven't got a decent team at the moment. No. And that's probably why we're enjoying the Derby results so much. They have got a decent team. In some ways, it's been, for the majority of this season, a better team than ours in terms of the way it's performed. Mm. But it was lovely to see that when it came to the crunch, when it came to this big game, I looked at that Spurs team and... For all the talk about all those players, your Harry Kane's, your Deli Alley's, you know, your Christian Eriksen's, I mean, they, they really weren't in the game. They they didn't seem, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's something you've heard said about Arsenal teams in the past, but they didn't seem to have a huge amount of character. They didn't seem to deal with the occasion mm. particularly well. And uh, it was great to be on the other side of that. Yeah, it really was. I really enjoyed the picture of uh, uh, the pictures when Harry Kane and Deli Alley were being hauled off, just completely bedraggled, wet had barely had a kick all game, did the square root of fuck all between them. These are the great hopes, you know, that had been, uh, oh, they were removed from international duty because they were injured just to keep them fresh for this game and then to see them, you know, I, I won't say that they played badly. I say that we made them look bad because of the way we played and the way we defended. Um, yeah, you know, I, feel, I think, I I thought, think, yeah. 
I thought our defence were yeah. excellent. But that moment where they went off, you know, it was, it was the lily white flag, wasn't it, waving? Yeah. And the Arsenal fans knew it. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was, it was curious. I mean, you know, given that they'd had that bit of rest and that they are so comfortably their most dangerous players, particularly Kane. I have to say, when they replaced them with Llorente and Son, I was absolutely delighted. Mm, absolutely, I agree with you. And I think uh, just sort of on that, before we go into the Arsenal side of things, there's, uh, you know, just in, ter- in terms of the media coverage and, and the way it's been presented, uh, Luke Lampard, who's at Luke Lampard 1, sent us uh, uh, a, a tweet. Um, the, the Telegraph have got a podcast at the uh, the Total Football podcast by the Telegraph. It says, listen to the latest episode of the Telegraph Total Football podcast. Beating Spurs is Arsenal's cup final. And Luke says, well, well, why do so many people tend to forget about the actual cup finals we've been routinely winning for the last number of years? You know, the actual trophies. I thought it was very interesting, Pochettino saying, we don't care about the FA Cup. We don't care about cups. We want to win the big things. It's like, hang on a minute. Who the fuck do you think you are to turn down? Mm. We don't want that trophy. Get out of here. Come on. You haven't won fuck all in ages. And you're going to turn down, uh, you know, an actual trophy. Of course, everyone wants to win the big ones. You want to win the league. You want to win the Champions League. Of course you do. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And they are fucking beggity beggars uh, of the highest order. <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, I, have a, I have a little, uh, oh, maybe I don't have it here. No, I'll, I'll, I'll find it a bit later. Someone sent me a very nice uh, audio clip, um, which you probably won't be able to hear, but I'll play it a bit later on in the show. People will know it when they hear it. So look, let's get into it. Um, any surprises or anything with regards to the team selection? It was always going to be a straight choice between Mertesacker and Mustafi. Uh, he yeah. went. He went with Mustafi. I think that was a, a decision that was very much vindicated by by what I think was his best performance in an Arsenal shirt. I thought, you know, the back three. I wrote about it in the blog. I thought the back three. Um, were outstanding and provided us the platform to go and play the way that we did. And when you look at all the clearances they made, all the blocks they made, uh, you know, they just defended so well. I, I thought it was quite noticeable as well. As soon as Spurs got near our, our penalty area, there were men on those men. As soon as Kane got near the ball or, or Deli Ali, uh, they had men up their arses. Um, you know, the back three were absolutely brilliant. But Mustafi in mm. particular stood out for me. I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, I, it was it was his best performance in an Arsenal shirt, I think. I mean, obviously the goal goes some way towards that, but defensively, I can't think of a time that he looks so solid, so secure. You know, memories of him unnecessarily diving in kind of briefly evaporated. He mm. he bu- he bullied Kane out of the game. He sort of it was a little bit like the way he dealt with uh, Morata at Stamford Bridge, but I think he did it much better on this occasion. Yeah. I think he was much more measured in the way he went about it. But it was the same essential idea of trying to get to every ball first, trying to play you know ahead of his man as much as possible. Just really, I mean, he was very physical. He was very, very, mm. very physical on the day. And he's so quick that he can be at times very aggressive. But with Koscielny and Monreal mopping up on either side, it was a very, very effective unit. And... Yeah, I, look, I think there was probably there were probably a few Arsenal fans out there wondering about bringing Mustafi straight back in because you know Mertzaka hadn't done too badly. You know, he's the club captain; he knows what this derby means. But it was uh, a big decision and one that was hugely, hugely vindicated. And what a fantastic header as well! I know we'll come on to the goals, I'm sure, but a brilliant, brilliant header, one to to rival Sanya mm. really for me in the way it looped into that far top corner. Yeah, there's there's uh, something just wonderful about seeing a header like that because he needed to get the power the accuracy 
it was it was a great jump. I mean, let's talk about the goal. Uh, good delivery from Ozil. I thought it was interesting where he he spoke after the game. He said Ozil was on the other side of the pitch. Normally, you would expect a free kick from that position to be taken by a right-footed player. That's what we've been doing, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that it will be an in-swinging free kick. Normally, Sanchez would take it, but Ozil took this one. Great delivery. Offside, pff, don't care. Not interested in even discussing the the the, po- the possibility of offside. I don't care. Like I can't. I just don't care. Uh, I, I care that it made Spurs unhappy, but I don't care about it from an Arsenal point of view. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, what what a, what a header! I mean, really, really brilliant. I mean, you. you uh, he was under pressure. He was being buffeted around in the area, and uh, he was strongest. And yeah, lovely going in off the post. Keeper stranded. Can't ask for more. No, you really, really can't. I mean, it's interesting because you say yeah, when a right footer would have taken it from that position normally. And even if it's a left footer, in recent weeks, you know, Granit Xhaka's been on a lot of those deliveries. But Ozil, you know, apparently Mustafi said something to him as he went to take yeah, it. Yeah, go take you know, it. Go take, take it. Yeah, <laughs> go take it, go basically. Go take it, yeah. You, you and uh, it's... It's, very, it's deep tactics. And then Ozil, <laughs> after the game, actually praised Mustafi, didn't he? And said, we look a much more solid team with Mustafi in it. I mean, those guys obviously have got a, a good relationship off the field, but it was nice to see it bear fruit on the field. I'm guessing if you don't care about the offside, you don't really care about the free kick decision either. Uh, absolutely not. No, no. I mean, look, sometimes <laughs> it was it was a little bit soft. It was a little bit soft. I, you know, I would be unhappy if it went against us and, uh, you know, I would rail against the decision. But g- given that it went for us, I mean, this is the the inherent hypocrisy of, of football fans. You know, we want the right decisions to be made by referees when the decisions that we deem wrong go against us. But if a wrong decision goes in our favor, we're <laughs> we're able to just sort of compartmentalize that and say, Meh, you know, so what? So what? And that, yeah. you know, it, it was a six of one, half a dozen of the other kind of coming together. I think there was a little bit of a shirt pull, but um, yeah, it was relatively soft, but fuck that. Fuck it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's still a great ball, great header. I think that's what we'll uh, we'll choose to enjoy and the indignation of mm. the Spurs fans, of course. James, some breaking news. Go on. Tony Pulis has been sacked as manager of West Brom. What a day it is. <laughs> I think I'm going to have some more tea. That, I believe that's known as the icing on the cake. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Uh, well, goodbye, Tony Pulis. Let's hope we never, ever, ever see you again. Um, are, you, are you happier to see him gone, or would you rather he'd stayed in charge and potentially been relegated? Um, I don't know. I guess he's going to go and like manage Wales or something now, isn't he? Uh, given that yeah, um, Chris Coleman has gone to manage... Has he gone to manage Sunderland? I, it's the strangest thing I've ever seen. I that don't know. I can't bizarre. understand it. Yeah, why would anyone go and manage Sunderland? Um, that seems like a like one of the worst jobs uh, in the world. Um, it is. Yeah, but it anyway, is. anyway, we we move on, and uh, not long after the the uh, the first goal, we got the second uh, again. A, a hint of offside that I couldn't care less about, and. Mm-hmm. A run from Lacazette, which uh, was found by Hector Bellerin, a good pass from Hector Bellerin. But Lacazette's movement during the game was very interesting and and uh, you could see at times how it was causing the, the Tottenham defence some problems. Uh, he got in well behind, delivered a good ball and uh, Sanchez maybe a little bit lucky in terms of in terms of his touches, the way it fell for him. But I, I, have, to, uh, I have to admire Hugo Lloris. Um, this... 
this thing that he did, just falling over backwards for no reason whatsoever, made it very, uh, very easy for Sanchez to score the goal. Yeah, it was kind of from the David Ospina stand before behind the line uh, yes. goalkeeping. You know, you know the old rules of sort of make yourself big. Loris kind of made himself as small as possible. It was <laughs> it was very, it was very generous of him. I, I actually haven't watched the replay of that one too many times, so I haven't necessarily perceived it as luck. The way I saw it, uh, Sanchez kind of did pretty well to kind of keep the ball under control. Well, maybe I'm yeah, maybe I'm being maybe I'm being harsh here because it just struck me that his first touch was. Was a little bit heavy. Hang on. Oh, hang on. Uh, I'm going to look at it here. Ooh, there's, there's, here it is. Here's the goal. Uh, I'm just fast forwarding to get to the goal. One second. You might well be right, but I don't know. Okay. Oh, that's the first one they're showing again there. Hang on. Oh, you don't mind watching that. That's fine. No, I don't mind watching that at all. Uh, Okay. Oh, there's Mike Dean. Yeah, I can see Mike Dean. Good old Mike Dean. Good old Mike Dean. One of our favourites, it has to be said. I don't think anybody's ever... Nobody's ever said a bad word about Mike Dean, I don't think. You know, did his job. Yeah, did his job very well. Okay, here it is. Boom. It sort of bounced off him a little bit. It bounced off his side or his foot. Let me have a look at the replay here. He's currently on his knees sliding. Aaron Ramsey, first over, his best friend there to congratulate him. Best buds. Best, best buddies. Buds. I mean, they do they do bicker on the pitch, but, you know, you can see that they, uh, you know, when those goals go in, there's Pochettino looking sad now. Sad Poch. Um, yeah, they always seem to get together for, for celebrations and stuff like that, so I don't think there's any real issue. Okay, here we go again. Uh, the replay. Bellerin picks it up. Plays it to a not at all offside like Izette. Cracks it in. Yeah, okay, yeah. He takes it on the inside of his left leg, I think. So, yeah, I could be very harsh with that. It could be just a really good piece of control uh, of a ball that was moving very, very fast. So I, I give all the credit now to Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> if he'd signed a new contract, you'd be saying what a good touch it was. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I thought as well, it's a really good pass from Hector Bellerin. You know, say what you want about the offside line. It's incredibly tight, wh- whatever way it goes. Mm. And uh, it's, a, it's a nice pass from Bellerin, who I thought had a really good game. He looked like a really... He looked like a midfield player in this game. He looked really astute. His passing was excellent. It's a point Tim Stillman makes about him sometimes. You know that he was kind of raised as a midfielder in La Masia with Barcelona, mm. and I and I think I think you could see that in his game against Spurs. He it was very intelligent on the ball. Lacazette's movement is so good. You know that's why there's debate over that offside decision because he 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 runs the line so well. Yeah, uh, and I thought he had an excellent game. Actually, I thought he was he, he probably deserved a goal to be honest for his efforts. Um, but I'm sure there'll be plenty more. Yeah, in the pipeline. Yeah. Um. So you know, two nil. We could have scored more in the second half. I think uh, Loris made a couple of good saves, and for the most part, mm-hmm. Tottenham were kept at bay. There was a really great Petr Cech save uh, from an Eric Dyer header. That was uh, mm-hmm. a fantastic piece of goal keeping there and that was important because you know if they get one back and you've got 20 minutes we're beginning to beginning to tire a little bit um it was a big moment and that's what you need your goalkeeper to do in games like this yeah it was i mean you know we could have got nervy even at 2-0 at half time we looked very very comfortable but you felt oh, if we concede one goal you know we might surrender the mm. initiative a bit here so it was a big save and a big moment but yeah, in the second half, I never really felt worried. I don't know about you. I mean, I, for for a North London derby, I, I was relatively serene. 
Yeah, I think so. I, I was beginning to get a little bit worried that we we might start getting tired and some space would open up in midfield and he brought Francis Coquelin on for uh, for Alexandre Lacazette. And I think, you know, not it was... Not a popular decision. Not a popular decision. We've got a question about that, so we might come to that a bit later on. But just okay. in general terms, I could understand why he he needed to, to shore up the midfield. I understood the substitution, mm. you know, but when you take Lacazette off and put Coquelin on, you know, you can understand people's reaction to that as well. But I think in general, it was a sensible move. You're 2-0 up in a derby. And what you don't want is to all of a sudden start getting overrun in midfield and for for them to build up any momentum. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was a sensible substitution. I mean, what was interesting to me was when you look at it statistically, they had more of the ball, 58% possession to 42%. And Arsenal's players, the passing uh, accuracy percentages for, for Arsenal's players were really, really low, some of them. You know, uh, Koscielny, 70%, Mustafi, 70%, Monreal, 86%, um, Bellerin, 65%, Kolasinac, 57%, Xhaka, 76 mm-hmm. Ramsey, 73 Sanchez, 69 Ozil, 81 Lacazette, 76 So it wasn't like when we had the ball, we were really... Uh, we were really uh, brilliant with it or comfortable with it. I, you know, Kolasinac down to what, 57% is really quite, quite strange. But I think what it comes down to is Arsene Wenger talking about before the game, uh, you know, he was asked about being tough and all that kind of stuff. And no, he said, no it's, no, it's not about being tough. It's about being efficient. And I think we were efficient with the chances that we had. We were, we were. And, and those passing numbers, I'd be interested to know, like, does a clearance factor into those passes? Do you know what I mean? Mm. So let's say you clear the ball away, but it doesn't. It goes to the opposition rather than a teammate. Yeah. Is that a missed pass? Because I think that we made a lot of clearances in the game, you know, that back three in particular. And I think Kalasinac too, you know, he might have been more quiet going forward, but I actually thought he did a very disciplined role uh, on the left-hand side, yeah. almost as a kind of auxiliary left-back. We saw him, we see, we've see. we seen him plenty of times playing as a kind of winger, but this was him operating as a defender, and I thought he did that pretty well on the yeah. day. Um, but yeah, those are, those are surprisingly low numbers, but I thought that we had a really nice balance of uh, aggression, uh, because I did think that we had that, and I don't just mean in terms of like challenges, I mean in terms of the way we started the game yeah. and put Spurs on the back foot. The way we pressed from the front, which I thought was really maybe the hallmark of this performance. I mean, seeing us pre- press in a way that felt genuinely quite cohesive um, and, and almost planned, <laughs> yeah. not just Alexis herring around on his own. Yeah, gesturing uh, madly for people to come and join him. Yeah, you never saw that really. Mm. You know, it felt considered and it felt uh, it felt intelligent. It felt designed. Uh, and then I think the when we did get chances to attack, I thought the front three linked in a way that was really very very impressive, especially given their limited playing time together. I mean, it's an old adage in football, isn't it? Good players can play with good players. But yeah. I think every time we see that trio together. That maxim is kind of proven true, and and so it, so it proved against Spurs. I thought that you know there were moments, even though we only scored a couple of goals, and even though there weren't necessarily a huge amount of clear cut chance in the game, where the understanding of that trio really kind of bubbled. And I, I, I think we've just got to keep playing them, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. There were some really nice um, counter attacking moments as well. I think there was one where. 
Ozil won the ball on the on the edge of our box and and we broke mm-hmm. up field. Ramsey, I think, was involved and and uh, Sanchez almost played played Ozil through. But yeah, look, the more that they play together, the better the understanding they're going to have. And you know, certainly Lacazette's movement is something the team are still trying to get used to. You know, they're not necessarily looking for him at some of the moments when they should be. But when you've got Sanchez and Ozil there, who can find those passes, who can who can uh, provide the creative spark that you need when you've got a player like Lacazette up front. Um, yeah, it, it's it's very promising. But like you say, we've got to keep playing them. We have to keep playing them um, in, in the Premier League games. So, uh, yeah, it, it augurs well, I think, you know, to, to be able to, to pull that kind of a performance out, um, you know, when it was needed, tells you that there is more to this team and there is more about this team than than maybe people think. The issue, of course, is the consistency. And, you know, I think it's probably worth discussing, you know, it wasn't something I wanted to go into in the blog yesterday or today, but, you know, it is worth discussing, you know, the the why don't we see that every week point of view with regards to this team and the commitment and the organization and the discipline and everything else. I know that not all football games are the same. You know, it's ridiculous to expect every single football uh, game to work out the way you want it to work out, regardless of how how hard you work or how much you want it and all those kind of things. There are intangibles and variables that will sometimes go against you. Uh, but, yeah. you know, the, there is, and we've talked about it before, uh, a kind of a, a a performance that we see from Arsenal at some point in the season where we go, Whoa, that's it. That's it, guys. Just do that. Do that again and do it next week and do it next week and do it next week and do it next week. I mean, you think back to the, the 3-0 win over Chelsea last season. Mm. You know, the Emirates, an, another really big performance against a big team. You know, you could feel the crowd energized by it the same way you could feel the crowd energized by by the performance uh on on Saturday and you know it worked both ways as well you know you could feel that the the crowd were really up for this game as well um and people will ask well why can't the the atmosphere be like that all the time was well, because you're not playing Tottenham all the time. I think we need to learn to hate the other 18 teams in the league as well, or however many, yeah. you know, you, uh, there are some we already hate and some you're going to be up for, but maybe that's what we need to do. Start really focusing on the hatred of everyone else just to get that atmosphere up there, you know, but uh, where, where do you stand on that in terms of, okay, this is, th- this was a great performance, a great win. They now need to replicate that more often. Well, I obviously stand in concurrence with that, but as you say, we've been here before. Chelsea is kind of the template from last season, isn't it? The the kind of milestone performance that we thought that's what we need to go out there and emulate. I mean, I guess what Arsene Wenger might say is when you look at the team he put out against Spurs, that's his best eleven players. That's his best team, right? Mm. And, I, and I don't think he's. I don't think that's that side has played together at any other point this season. Um, I don't think Mustafi's been fit at the same time that we fielded, say, Urzo, Alexis and Lacazette. Mm. So I think that is the first time we've seen our best team. Um, in terms of a kind of bigger psychological picture, I I don't know. It, it, it is so tricky, isn't it? Because sometimes with Arsenal, you feel like they need a big game like this to get themselves up for it. Other times you feel like big games and pressure is what can lead them to crumble. Yeah. Um I don't think it's particularly consistent in terms of the the context that produces these performances. All you can hope really is what the one thing that that is kind of 
evident in football is I think the idea of form and the idea of momentum and that when a team is playing with confidence they're invariably turning better performances Mm. and I think that this is a performance from which you can really derive some confidence you know I think if you look at this season more broadly we went into it off the back of the FA Cup final we're all feeling pretty good about ourselves and I think the events before the transfer deadline on and off the pitch really destabilised things um, far more possibly than anyone had anticipated they would and this is this is a result and a day and an occasion I think that enables us to kind of not wipe the slate clean because we can't do that in terms of points but at least say well from here we can build you know uh, and I think that's I think that's all you can do, really. I mean, I do think there are tactical things like the way that we press, like the way that we seemed a bit more efficient on the counter attack, that need to be taken into other games. Precisely how that's done is kind of down to the manager. But mm. there were those little things where it felt like there had been a little bit of tinkering under the bonnet or a little bit of added focus. Yeah, and you do kind of think. If that was applied on a weekly basis, surely we would be in a better position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right about the confidence. Certainly, you know, when you when you haven't won away from home all season, it's going to be, it's it's got to be a thing, right? It's got to be a thing that's uh, collectively it's in the back of their minds. You know, when you when you look yeah. ahead to next weekend, and we got to go to Burnley, which is a difficult place to go to. Uh, you know, off the back of a trip to Cologne. Um, but we haven't done it in the Premier League away. So you want to go into that game with a bit more confidence and belief. And I think, you know, a performance like that against Spurs, you know, the players will will have been aware as well of what was being said about Tottenham and what was being said about Arsenal. I think Mustafi referenced it a bit, didn't he, in his post-game stuff? Um, You know, we're not dead. Uh, I think he said something along those lines, you know, um, that, you know, from a fan's point of view, it's easier, I think, to not focus on the negative, but to to predict the, the the worst outcome, you know, because you're almost stealing yourself for for a, a disappointment when you go into a game like this. And you know, we we we've answered some questions uh, against Tottenham, but there are still some questions to answer. But yeah, I mean, it will be a confidence boost to the team. It should be a confidence boost to the fans as well. But what they have to do, they've got it. They've got to keep it going, and hopefully, they can. They can build on this. I know we've been down this road before. I know that we've said it before. But what else can we do, other than hope that that's the case? There's n- nothing else we can do, right? Um, you know, and you don't want to. I certainly don't want to talk today about. Oh well, you know, this is a one-off. It's not going to happen. Again. I don't want to do that because it takes away the enjoyment. And I think what we've got to do as well is remember that when you do win a game like this, you should enjoy it as much as you possibly can without caveats without uh, the what ifs and the what abouteries and, and all that kind of stuff because uh, it's important it's part of being a football fan is enjoying these moments and enjoying the fallout and enjoying all the, the other bits and pieces that go on when you win a big game against your local rivals you win the North London Derby that is a game that you should uh, take a warm glow from for the whole week you know whether you're having the, the bragging rights at work or with you know friends or whoever are Tottenham fans You've got to enjoy it. Absolutely, and you should relish it. And also, in the interest of being positive, you know, we can talk about our away form, but I think we do have to have a word for our home form too, which has been mm. really excellent. Uh, and it kind of crept up on me that I didn't realise quite how consistent we've managed to be at the Emirates Stadium recently. Um, but what is it now? It's, we haven't been there for quite a long time. Yeah, I think you've got to go back to uh, January. 
um, in the Premier League when we lost 2-1 to Watford. That's the last time we lost a game uh, at home in the Premier League. So it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, people talk about the Emirates um, and they have issues with the stadium and you can understand that. And while it's not necessarily, you know, your archetypal fortress, the home record is very good, and the and the players obviously feel that as well. They feel confident at home, um, and given we've got Manchester United to come later this month, uh, you know, you you would hope that uh, you know that's going to be a positive for us going into that game, which is again going to be another big game, another sort of benchmark game. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, there are some big games coming up, but as oh, I it's, said, in, it's in December, going. December second. Sorry. That's it, yeah, just the other side of the month. But mm. it's it, there's a lot of big games coming up, but I would I feel <laughs> I feel much better about them uh, with this Spurs result behind us. And I it's just lovely, isn't it, to just put them mm. back in their box a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, get back in there, you fucking uppity cunts. Um <laughs> you know. Seriously, it is. I mean, they, it, it happens all the time. All the time we get this talk of power shifts and how the balance has changed and all those kind of things. And you know, like you say, you can you can acknowledge the fact that they've got a good team and they've got a better team than you know most of us have experienced in in our lifetimes. Uh, <clears throat> certainly, those of us who who weren't alive in 1961 when they might have had a good team, uh, which is of course the last time that they won the league, uh, 19, mm. 1961. Um, you know, they haven't won anything for years, and success in football ultimately is measured by uh, by what you what you can put in your trophy cabinet, right? You know, we yeah. people slag us off all the time for like the fourth place trophy and blah blah blah, finishing in the top four. What have they got? Absolutely. I mean, there's so much nonsense around it, and it, it is kind of refreshing to be able to kind of put the nail in the coffin of a few ideas around in Spurs. I mean, surrounding Spurs. I mean. I still think if you're a top player and you're looking at the Premier League and you're asked to choose between Arsenal and Spurs, I still think you choose Arsenal because I still think the prospects are bigger there. I think that, mm. you know, we're, we take so much stick as a club for not winning things, for not winning away enough to the top four. Mm. And yet those are both problems that Tottenham have. And I also think that fundamentally, yes, they finished above us last season, but one season even if it is the most recent in memory, cannot single-handedly outweigh the weight of two decades. And no. it's very easy as fans to sort of write off our Premier League campaign and go, uh, you know, we're not going to win it this year, so what What are we interested in? And, and, uh, and the answer, rationally, is, look, we need to get in the top four, we need to get in the Champions League. But I can understand mm. fans feeling a bit apathetic about that. But make the motivation to finish ahead of Spurs because... <laughs> You know that that would be mm. enjoyable, and that's the right that's the right thing to do, isn't oh, it? Absolutely, to it is the right thing to do. And then what you know, what could the impact of that be? For example, where you have you know, if if Arsenal finish top four, and let's say Spurs finish outside the top four, what happens then to the to the to the momentum, to the building, to players like Harry Kane and Deli Ali yeah. and Christian Eriksen, who maybe will have ambitions of doing more in their career than celebrating the fact that they finished above Arsenal once. You know, mm. uh, Tottenham's financial issues. Can they hold on to those players if someone comes in with big money bids for, for for their top players? You know, if uh, if those players get their heads turned by significantly increased wage packets, as has been known to happen from time to time with footballers, you know, then it becomes a bit more a bit more difficult for them. So I hope you know whatever happens this season, we can really put a 
uh, a halt to whatever kind of momentum they think they're building and they can go back to being the, um, you know, the, the sort of mid-table uh, team we all know and enjoy. Exactly. Let's make uh, last season an anomaly if we can. Yes. All right. Well, look, we're going to take a, a little break here. Uh, we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just want to say a very quick thank you to David Hafner, who provided me with the uh, the audio that you heard there between the two parts of the show. Um, so, yeah, I think, the, I think that's a, a good song. I like that song. Could be a Christmas number one, actually. Can you imagine? Let's get that to Christmas number one. <laughs> <laughs> that could, that could be our Christmas song this year. <laughs> yeah, I would really enjoy that if that was Christmas number one. Um, right, should we get into the questions? Yeah, let's get into the questions. Okay, uh, let's have this one. This is from uh, Alistair Wood, who's at Alleyboy82 on mm-hmm. Twitter. He says, Gentlemen, as classy, refined pillars of society, mm. he's not wrong there. No, he's not. No. What is your, <laughs> what is your preferred choice of tea to celebrate a vintage win over the local vagabonds? Um, you know what? When it comes to tea, I'm not like I'm not much of a a, a snob. I'm not fussy at all when it comes right. to to tea. Like I know there's all these kind of different infusion teas and all that kind of stuff now, flavoured teas, you know, mango and pineapple tea and blueberry and elderflower and all that kind of stuff. I don't I don't want, I've got nothing to do with any of those. I can't. Right. You're just having normal just tea, a normal, breakfast tea. Yeah, normal cup of tea, tea bag in, two sugars, nice and strong, tiny drop of milk. That's me. I'm an unfussy. Oh, that sounds good. I'm an unfussy tea drinker. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'm the same. I'm 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 down to one sugar, which I'm regarding as progress. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, you know, in my, in my house, there's sort of echinacea teas, and I don't know what like the hell said, is that. I I don't even know nettle tea. Oh, Why bollocks. do I want to drink a nettle? 
I know people drink green tea because it because it's got antioxidants or some shit. But like, if I wanted to drink something that tasted like water that had been brewed through a sock, there's a real cheap way of doing that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same as you. Builders tea, really, for me. Yeah, but yeah. Um, we should probably. I mean, if you are unaware why we've started the second half with a question about tea, there was well. To, to put it rather aptly, a storm in a teacup, wasn't there, over the weekend? Quite literally, yes. Quite mm. literally. I think we, yeah, someone pointed that out uh, on uh, on our Twitter mentions. I should give him a mention. Yeah, Ollie Tucker, Ollie Tucker 93 says, has the saying storm in a teacup ever been more literal? <laughs> I don't think so. No, the gift that keeps on giving. Mm. Um, what, <laughs> Very good. Uh, so, so basically, what if you if you're unaware, if you're not on the social media or, or what have you, um, a Daily Mail journalist did a pre-match combined eleven, uh, which consisted entirely of Tottenham players, as far as I understand it. I must admit, I haven't clicked on the article or, or really given it the time of day until until this yeah. subsequent storm. Yeah, I'm not clicking on the Daily uh, Mail website. Fuck those guys. Yeah, but uh, I think the Arsenal social media team from the Arsenal Twitter account after the game, and obviously the, the result in Arsenal's favour, responded to this tweet with a, I believe, a winky emoji <laughs> and and a gif of Meza Ozil drinking a... Uh, a cup of tea. Yeah. And unknowingly unleashed some sort of hell, I believe, on this journalist. In the, the, he, he reported that over the following 12 hours or whatever it was, he was subjected to online abuse, uh, including some very serious uh, allegations of uh, homophobic abuse and anti-Semitic abuse, which is obviously completely unacceptable. But mm. the subsequent... Um, Blame has been laid quite squarely at the feet of Arsenal. Yeah. Now I don't know. What did you What did you make of the whole thing? Well, what I, well yeah, I thought it was good natured. I thought it was funny. I think uh, you know the reply was it was just fun, right? Um, mm-hmm. Arsenal are not responsible for the replies that uh, were levelled at this guy. And like you, I don't have any time for or do not condone in any way. That kind of abuse. I just don't do it. You do, I've seen some of the comments uh, that were made, um, and they're just completely unacceptable. Where I think the issue is, uh, personally, is the uh, is is blaming Arsenal. I see quite a number of journalists got quite outraged. They really um, got in a lather about this. There was all kinds of arguments and, and what have you going on. And I do see the I do see the point where you say, well, look, if you if you have twelve million followers and you engage in some online banter, then you're basically uh, unleashing a pile on. Uh, I can see why some people would think that. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think if uh, if you've got X amount of followers, you know, why should that change the way that you engage with anyone? And you're not um, you're not inviting people to have a go at this. The issue for me is is people being abusive, and the fact that they're allowed to be abusive on Twitter. Like um, yeah. I saw, yeah, someone called him a fucking Jew or something like that, and I think there was another one, like a guy called him a gay cunt, and you're going, well, hang on a minute. 
if if someone left those comments on Arsblog or tried to leave those comments on Arsblog, number one, they'd be deleted. Number two, those people would be banned from using the website. They would not be allowed to comment on the website. And I think the bigger issue here is the fact that Twitter allows people to use their platform without uh, without any kind of reprimand when they are abusive, when they're homophobic, when they're anti-Semitic, when they're racist, when they're sexist, when they're misogynistic. It just seems to be accepted as part and parcel of, well, that's just the way people talk online. It shouldn't be accepted. Mm. That if you if you say something like that, you should be your account should be suspended. Tough shit, and that to me is the bigger issue. I think so. I think it's it is Twitter's responsibility. Uh, I mean, you know, Gary Neville said clubs should absolutely continue to do this type of thing. We shouldn't let the minority of overstepping mm. mark on here cloud what is good humour and interaction. And and I am inclined to agree with that. I actually think it's nice. It was it was very funny. I thought what the Arsenal team did. It was so not aggressive. You know what I mean? It was so yeah. uh, light-hearted and uh, gentle, really, in the scheme of things. And, of course, it's awful that some people jumped on that bandwagon mm. um, in the manner that they did. But, you know, those people need to be banned from a from a social media website yeah. like that. Yeah, and I think we need to, like, uh, as well, like, uh, put to one side whatever partisan feelings you have about Arsenal or Arsenal fans. You know, I've seen people say, well, no, there's no abuse. I didn't see any abuse at all. You know, you, you can't condone or excuse that kind of behaviour just because it's from Arsenal fans. It's not a conspiracy. The guy clearly did receive some very uh, uh, unsavoury, unacceptable abuse that nobody should be subjected to. Um, yeah. But, you know, let's not pretend that it doesn't happen or pretend that just because it's Arsenal fans, it, it can't happen, that we're somehow better than that. There are elements of our support who are not nice and who engage in behavior that should not be tolerated. And it requires all of us, if we're going to be good and decent people about that, it requires us to uh, to address that and accept it. Um, well, not accept it, but to accept that it happens and to not tolerate it. To call people out when they use, uh, you know, racist or, or sexist language or anti-Semitic lang- language, and you still see it, you know, with regards to Tottenham and, you know, the 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 uh, the word "yid" that's thrown around all the time, and it shouldn't be, you know. But it's up mm. to us as well to try and uh, uh, ad- address that or draw attention to it, you know. Um, it shouldn't be acceptable in any way. But you know, in the, in the grand scheme yeah. of things, I don't. I, I think the outrage from certain sections of the the media and certain journalists was was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I understand sticking up for a member of your profession. It's not nice to see somebody get that kind of abuse. But don't you know? Address the real issue. Don't point the finger at Arsenal when it wasn't Arsenal that did it. No, and at the end of the day, I mean, you know. <laughs> In no way would you attempt to justify that abuse, but of course, an article like that is going to provoke a big response, mm. right? Because if effectively, it's a bit of a bit of a wind up mm. putting it out. Yeah, um, I think so the article it's, it's, was it, it was a number of Daily Mail journalists picking their their combined elevens. Uh, I think the right. other thing we should say, James, of course, is that the idea of a combined uh, eleven is is absolutely risable, right? It's like you, oh, yeah. God, yeah. Mm. 
Um, <laughs> I had to do one for work and it was the most painful thing. Well, the worst thing about it was I had to do one for work and it was based on form this season, but then they tweeted it out to however many bloody million followers they've got or 100,000 followers they've got without saying that. So it just looked mm. like I'd included the most bizarre players. And I I mean, I got some abuse, let me tell you, but you didn't hear me go crying about it. No, but I mean, I think the other thing as well is that you do have to be aware that when you write or when you're putting stuff in the public domain, whether it's a combined 11 or whether it's an opinion piece, that, you know, it's out there. You're writing for a website that that thrives on clickbait and thrives on um, some pretty unfortunate stuff. You know, I don't say that to uh, to excuse anything or to suggest that just because someone writes for the Daily Mail, they deserve to be abused. You can, mm. you know, you've, you've, we've all got an off button. We don't have to click on anything we don't like. But, uh, you know, I think it's worth being mindful about how you express yourself or the way that you uh, uh, provide your opinion or point of view. Uh, you know, how you write things, people can react in in a certain way. So if you write something that's critical, but you're just completely off the wall and you're going crazy and angry, you're going to get those kind of responses back. Whereas if you're just slightly mindful in your criticism, or if you try and explain why you're being critical, then you're more likely to get an open kind of dialogue. And I think it's worth people remembering or trying to remember, you know, what the online world is like. You know, I'm not, again, I'm not making any excuses for it, but... You know, you don't, like I said in the blog today, you don't fucking go crying when you've uh, been throwing rocks at a wasp's nest and they come out and fucking sting you. So no. th- th- there is that there is that element to it as well. So mm. Anyway, should we move on from the, the whole affair? We shall indeed. We shall indeed. Okay, this is a question from Bjorn Alm, who's at Alm N5. And he is talking about the Borussia Dortmund scout Sven... Yeah. Mislintat. Is that how you say it? Is that what we're going with? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't Mislintat, know. I think. Mislintat. Um, yeah. He says, it seems to be done. What do you think he can bring in regards of new signings? Feels like we've been left behind and late to the party when it comes to exciting talent abroad for a while now. Yeah. Well, from what I'm hearing, I mean, aside from what's in the press, this is, this is going to happen, which is really exciting. Uh, it, it is a... Yeah, I mean, you know... As a fan base, we get excited about bringing players in, but I think we've been so starved of these kind of off-field recruitments that when you know Jens Lehmann's appointed as a coach or we get a new contract specialist, uh, mm. you know we get quite into it as a fan base. But um, this guy, you can understand some of the hype because you know there was an, an image doing the rounds the other day, I think, on Twitter of kind of the the it was an a, a eleven. A, a combined 11 of the sorts of players he's recruited to Dortmund <laughs> down the years. And uh, that was worth having a look at. You know, people like Aubameyang, Lewandowski, you know, Dembele, Kag- Kagawa is sort of one of his famous mm. success stories, you know, from Japanese football. I think it's a progressive move and, a, a yeah, a really exciting one. I'm, I'm fascinated to know what Arsene Wenger's role in this is. You know, is this a, a, a an appointment that sort of looks beyond Arsene Wenger? Is it something that he has ratified or sort of done himself? Mm. It's it's difficult to unpick, isn't it, behind the scenes, exactly how this will have come about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, from what I've heard as well, things behind the scenes in terms of the scouting department have been bad for a number of years now. I think they reached a, a bit of a low this summer as well. There were all kinds of issues 
And it would be very fair to say that things have gone stale in that department. So, yeah, I'd be curious as well to know how much involvement Arsene Wenger has in this. You have to assume he's got a, 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 a significant kind of a, a an input on this, given that he seems to have an input on everything else that goes on at the club. But maybe there's been, uh, you know, some discussions where where people are looking and saying, OK, right, which which part of our backroom setup could be improved? Where do we really need to make changes? And perhaps there's been that agreement, you know, uh, uh, and Wenger says, okay, well, look, you know, let's work on the scouting. Um, we, we've uh, we've discussed the, the director of football, football executive kind of position as well before, which could happen. You know, the uh, the Barcelona guy, former Barcelona guy, is is being linked very strongly with, with that kind of position. So it does... It does speak to stuff going on in the background, and certainly scouting is an area at Arsenal that has long needed some improvement. You know, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? When you look at this generation of French talent that's come through over the last number of years, uh, Dembele, Mbappe, uh, Lamar, I mean, countless players... Yeah. Uh, who are making the breakthrough into the French national team, and that was that would have been something we've been all over in the past. We would have had that that knowledge, that expertise, um, and the ability to perhaps attract a couple of those players to us. But they've all pretty much flown under our radar until they become established. That's the thing, and now they're big money signings, of course. So, you know, we, we've needed uh, for quite some time to refresh things uh, when it comes to our scouts. Uh, Steve Rowley is the uh, the current head of scouting. Whether this guy's arrival precipitates his departure, whether he'll go before that, it, it's hard to know. Um, you know, there have been issues in the past, for example, where... Um, you know, we had a fitness coach, I think he's still there, Tony Colbert, um, who's still there, but he's sort of hung on while we've brought in the likes of Darren Burgess and um, what's the American guy? Shad Forsyth. Oh, uh, Shad yeah, Forsyth. The Shadster. You know, and, and basically as replacements for him, but he's he's still there. He's still doing stuff uh, at the club. So... I'll be curious to see if we're going with a with a fresh broom or a, a, a giving this a clean sweep. You know, this guy's going to come in and he's going to revamp the whole scouting department because, uh, you know, we do have scouts and we have people in, in various countries, but whether he'll want to bring in his own people or new methods or what have you, it's going to be very interesting to see. But it does look like it's going to happen. I think it's a very, a very positive move forward-thinking move, progressive move, and something that the football club has needed to do for some time. So, uh, you know, kudos uh, for uh, for when it happens, because it looks like it is. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, to be honest, what it does to Arsenal's relationship with Stat DNA as well, because uh, apparently Mislintat himself is the co-founder of something called Matchmetrics, which is a, a German startup that claims to provide the most sophisticated big data analytics in professional football. It's mm. sort of a similar model, really, to Stat DNA. So whether or not that will be incorporated to as part of the package. Um, I mean, he's been so prized in European football. There were a lot of stories about Bayern Munich trying to take him there. Probably some relief at Dortmund that he's come to the Premier League and to Arsenal uh, rather than to Bayern. But one thing it, it does mean, probably, is that you can probably cross uh, Thomas Tuchel off your list of future Arsenal managers yeah. because yeah. <laughs> there was a big falling out, wasn't there, between the two of them that led to Tuchel's departure. So yeah. There you go. Oh, well, yeah. It's not like we're replete with candidates anyway, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But yeah, no, look, a positive move and... Um, 
you know, the sooner it happens, the better. There is the small matter of the uh, transfer window in January uh, that we might have to, you know, uh, deal with a number of things in, in that sense. So uh, we'll see as and when uh, stuff happens. Yeah. Right. Next question? Yeah. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Well, there's a few around the substitution in the game. Let's mm. have. Let's start with this one. This is from John Brigden, who's at Briggy Smalls on Twitter. Great name. Mm. Uh, and he says, when Arsenal took off Lacazette for Coquelin to make the team more solid, those around me at the Emirates booed and shouted, get out of our club, Wenger. What do you make of this sort of behaviour and what does it say about us as a club? What does it say about us as a club? I don't know. I mean, it, just, it obviously speaks to a great... Uh, disenchantment with with the manager because you're winning. It's not really about the substitution, is it? No, That's the thing. No, it's much it, deeper than that. Yeah, it's you know you're two 0 up in a North London derby. You're well on your way to winning the game. You're putting in a great performance, and the manager is making a tactical, sensible, I think, substitution uh, because the team needs that extra body in midfield at that point. It was around what seventy two minutes, something like that. Um, the team needed the introduction of a midfielder. I wonder, for example, if Arsene Wenger had brought on Jack Wilshire for Lacazette, would the reaction have been quite as vociferous? I wonder. Yeah, I'm not sure it would have so. been. I'm not sure it would have yeah. been. And it's not necessarily... Again, I don't mean to mean it to sound like it's, um, you know, it's, it's anti-Cockalan in a way, because I don't think it was that either, really. Because if you stopped and thought about it, it's it's a sensible substitution to make at that point of the game. Um, I think it speaks to the way a lot of people think about the manager that they <laughs> they get that angry. Um, I, I think as well the the Lacazette not getting ninety minutes thing is becoming an issue for people. They want mm. to see him play ninety minutes. Um, Arsene Wenger doesn't play him for 90 minutes ever just doesn't hasn't done since yeah. the opening day of the season and he, and the and maybe the only reason why he played him was because we were behind and we needed goals so he needed as many forwards on the pitch as he could possibly get so i think it speaks just to about what what people think of the manager that even in the height of what was a very enjoyable day um and you could see that the game you know, was was going our way. We were playing really well. It was a good performance. Um, we didn't look in any danger. That there's still room for for booze. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we can deal with that or rationalise it. It just is what it is for so many people at this point. That's it. That's the scale of the uphill battle the manager mm. faces. You know, the positive result is this. And a positive performance is there's still going to be doubters out there, and any kind of negative, you know, the same complaints will arise. Mm. I mean, if I'm honest, I'm sort of I sort of sit in that camp myself. You know, I do believe that Arsenal would benefit from a new manager, but I I'm also realistic about that happening this season at, at any point. Mm. So I'm still able to kind of. I mean, there's enough kind of cognitive dissonance that allows me to in, enjoy these days despite my broader dissatisfaction, you know? Yeah. You have to. You yeah, have of course, to. of course, you know. Um, but it does, you know, it's it's kind of disheartening, isn't it? You know, in, in the middle of a game like that against them. where I was surprised by how how, how vociferous that reaction was, Yeah, me was, too. I say. Me too. I mean, I could understand yeah. a few grumbles 
few grumbles here and there, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. You know, people want to see Lacazette play 90. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about getting the three points. It's about getting the result, about securing up the midfield. We did that. We still had chances to score. And maybe, you know, I don't suppose you can talk about Lacazette being more assured in possession when, uh, you know, Alexis Sanchez is still on the pitch. You know, he's he's a bit wasteful at times as well. So, uh, but you could see why if he was going to withdraw somebody from that front three, it was going to be Lacazette. It's going to be the centre forward. Very nearly kind of reap the benefits of that switch. We put Alexis up top and he nearly scored a couple of times, didn't yeah. he, in those last year. One, one time from a, a long ball from Francis Cochran. Right. <laughs> um, so very nearly uh, put the icing on the cake. But yeah, I mean, we had another question about the subs bench itself. This is from Tokyo Guna. They asked about Cochran ahead of Jack, but then they said, were you surprised at the fact that Maitland-Niles was in the squad? Is there no future for Elneny and Theo? Yeah, that was a surprise, wasn't it? I don't know whether there's been some... I, had, I hadn't even noticed that Theo Walcott wasn't in the squad. I noticed that because I, I thought he would be I thought he would be on the bench, particularly as he's a reasonably good scoring record against Tottenham at home and, you know, would have been an, a, an attacking option, you know, with Welbeck just back from injury. So I wonder, is there an injury or something to Walcott? Is he... Is he uh, so he got a little knock or a niggle. We'll see, I guess, in midweek when we go to play Cologne. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What does but it say? The anyone as well. I guess maybe maybe that's an injury problem as well. I was surprised. I suppose Maitland Niles, what he has, Maitland Niles, what he has over on any is that capacity to fill in at, at wing back. Maybe that mm. gave him an advantage. Yeah, particularly with uh, Kalasinek having that that hip problem. So maybe that was part of the thinking there. You know, it could have been a very well thought out bench, but there could be injuries as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Theo, has he played much in the Premier League this season? I don't think he has really, has he? No. I mean, I'm hogging all the questions now, but East Lower said, why is Walcott making no noises about not playing? It's his last shot at World Cup. Silence. Is something brewing there, i.e. January departure? Um... Maybe. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I think, I think he's just kind of accepted his role, yeah. which might seem like a curious thing to say, but I think he's kind of in Kieran Gibbs territory, right? Yeah. I mean, Walcott has... He came on as a sub in the opening game against Leicester. He came on as a sub with 12 minutes to go against Stoke in the Premier League, and... He came on with 19 minutes to go against Brighton. That was the 1st of October. So in total, Theo Walcott has had, I don't know, about 30, 40 minutes of Premier League football this season. That's it. Um, And that's an interesting point from from Jim, you know, about the the World Cup. Uh, Maybe he's just accepted he's not getting picked for the World Cup anyway. Uh, he's had he's, he's had some bad luck there, hasn't he? Once or twice in terms of injuries, but other times he was left out of the squad because he he lost form. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. Um, and I've said for quite a while now that I think if Theo Walcott was really serious about his career, he needs to he needs to go somewhere else. You know, mm. if he wants to make the most of the final years of his career, because he's not a young man anymore, is he? He's what 28. 
You know, he's going to be 29 in March and you're into the final few years of your career, particularly when you're a player like Walcott, whose who's key attribute is his pace. As you get older, that, that, uh, that dwindles, obviously, and makes you a bit less effective. But I've said for a while that I think if you really wanted to play regular football, he's got to think about leaving Arsenal. And yeah, it wouldn't be a surprise if he were to leave uh, in January, if we were to get a, a decent offer for him. Um, I think we'd be wise to take it. And I think he'd be wise to go. Mm, well, yeah, I guess a lot a lot will depend on what else might happen in January, you know, in terms of if we're fielding offers for other players. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it speaks volumes that I didn't even notice Theo Walcott. I guess because Danny Welbeck was back in the squad, you know, I didn't even notice Walcott's absence uh, at the weekend. But it will be telling if he's involved on, on Thursday night, as you say. Here's a question from Dale Gaynor, who's on um, Facebook. And he says, where does Mustafi's header rate amongst North London Derby headed goals? Given that it came from a free kick they whinged about and Mustafi could have been blown offside. Hashtag fuck off you Spurs. Good hashtag. <laughs> it's high up there. I mean, you know, I mentioned Bakary Sanya's uh, earlier on in the podcast and that's that's the one that always stands out for me. It was just so emphatic and actually kind of a whole game, not mm. even a whole game, a whole season kind of hinged on that moment. Yeah. But there was something particularly delicious about the way Mustafi's head had kind of floated in this far top corner. I was kind of sat quite nicely behind it, actually. It was one of those where as soon as it left his head, you thought, oh, you know what I mean? You yeah, were slightly yeah, yeah. off your seat. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy a, a dipping header, you know, from mm. the kind of... Uh, it didn't have quite the same dip as the old David Platt versus United, but it wasn't, you know... A Different trage- trajectory. Uh, you know, um, Mustafi's header yeah. was a, an in-swinger, wasn't it? And Platt's header was sort of like an out-swinger, kind of. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah that's true, actually, uh, heading away from goal. I mean, Derby headers, I'm struggling to think. Well, Mertesacker, Per Mertesacker scored a great header like uh, a few years ago. I think it was his first goal for Arsenal, where it was one of those, like Sanya, it, it was like a headbutt. He headbutted the ball into the goal. Um, yeah. That was a good one. And there was a very famous one of, a couple of years back, of course, when Arsene Wenger introduced a certain Nicholas Bentner as a substitute. Uh, he ran mm. onto the pitch and uh, ran into the box. I think Cesc Fabregas took the free kick or the, the corner. Uh, Bentner rose highest and nodded home with his with his very first touch. So that was a, that was a great one. I'm sure there's loads more, but I've, you know, I've forgotten. Yeah. I, I can't remember anyone's... I remember Adebayor scoring one at White Hart Lane, a very good header one time. Mm. Um, but yeah, the Bender one was great, I guess, just for the sort of instant impact. Nothing can top that Sanya one for me, though. That's got to be, you know, my favourite favorite derby header. Mm. You? Uh, yeah, I like just because of what it meant. It was a real... It was a goal of, like, I'm not having this. Not having it. We can't lose this game. Yeah. It was just something about the aggression of it and what it, what it, the way that it changed the uh, the trajectory of that game. You know, we went on to win five two. You know, it just had that big of an impact on the team. I think the team just took something amazing. I remember he spoke about it afterwards. He said, "I was standing there and I was thinking, we just can't lose to the enemy. We cannot lose to the enemy." And it was that kind of, you know, that weight behind that header as well makes it such a good one as well. Mm. 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 Um. 
let's have another question. I mean, yeah. there's been a lot of talk about these two after the the derby. Um, it's an inevitable question, really. Uh, at Guna DS underscore DS on Twitter says, can the right contract offer still make Özil and Alexis stay? Yeah, it was interesting. Arsene Wenger talking about that after the game. You know, if someone said, "Look, will days like today make it easier to keep them?" and he goes, "Look." Um, been around long enough to know that it takes a bit more than just a good day against Tottenham or in a big game to, to hang on to them. But yeah, the quality, you talked about the quality of the contract. I don't know. I mean, I think Arsenal can and probably have offered these guys very, very good contracts. You know, they, they've got to be aware of what it's going to look like if both these players leave on a free as well. So maybe there's some, you know, really uh, to the wire negotiating going on in terms of uh, Ozil and Sanchez, but you know it's hard to look beyond them leaving in the summer because we've got to this point. You know we get to January and they could, uh, they can start negotiating with, with clubs abroad. They can sign a pre-contract agreement, I think, with a club abroad, um, and I think they will have lots and lots of of offers uh, from from big clubs um, in Europe because of the the contract situations. Who wouldn't want Alexis Sanchez or Mesut Ozil on a on a free transfer? Um, so I think it's got more to do with how successful Arsenal can be. I think I really do. Um, I know players often want to move around. I think Sanchez is the kind of player that you know. Does th- he did three years in Italy, three years in Barcelona, you know, three or four years with Arsenal. I think he might want to experience something else. But it, it really, to me, it boils down to can can we achieve what we want to achieve as footballers with Arsenal? Can we win the title? Can we win the Premier League? Can we win the, the Champions League? And obviously at the moment we can't win the Champions League. I think that's been the bigger issue um, with them not signing than, than anything financial or any benefits we might be able to afford them from that point of view. I think we pretty much would have paid them whatever they wanted if we thought that we could get the deal done. You know, yeah. I, I think there was so much value for us in keeping them. I mean, so much value in keeping them that we've decided to potentially write off £100 million or so in transfer fees. So... Mm. I think, uh, yeah, I, I thought Arsene Wenger was unusually... Frank, I think, in his response at the weekend. I think normally he kind of trots out the line of, I believe they want to stay. Yeah. Uh, I they love the they club. Stay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there were elements of that, but he also, he, effectively, he was asked, is, is this enough to keep them there? And effectively, he said no. Yeah. Um, but I did think that, you know, I mean, there's been an enormous amount of praise for Mesut Ozil uh, after the weekend and Alexis Sanchez you know I saw him taking absolute pelters from people in the first half and then he goes and scores the goal I mean yeah. that's, that's Alexis for you uh, but I thought it was a, an encouraging performance in terms of their commitment right like I think you know yeah. you couldn't question they were as much part of that uh, that pressing and that sort of will to win that was evident throughout the team yeah. uh, as anybody else I suppose, by the same token, that kind of doesn't necessarily prove anything. They're just being professional and part of a good team on the day. It doesn't tell you, oh, well, they must they must be desperate to stay. Mm. You know, it's a it's a much more nuanced situation than that. And I I'm I still think they'll they'll both be gone come yeah. come next season. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be an ongoing 
an ongoing saga. Um, right, we're almost at the end, but I just wanted to make another quick point about what we were talking about at the start and the reaction of some journalists and some media and, and also fans to to Cup of Tea Gate and, and, uh, and just mm. the way that, that uh, clubs are covered these days. You know, I think there's been a big change, obviously, and I don't just talk about Ars blog here. I talk about, you know, all the other Arsenal websites that are out there and uh, Arsenal podcasts and the, the, the amount of um, information available to us at, as fans now is immense. We know, mm. you know, we're talking about the, the head of scouting. We're talking about fitness people. We're talking about, we know everything. Fans who, who are committed to knowing everything about their football club know everything because they can read about the, the backroom stuff. They can read about the, uh, the youth teams. You know, George Bird does an amazing website uh, about the Arsenal youth team. So everybody knows everything about everything these days. Um, and we watch all our games the 90 minutes of them. I think what's happened is there's been a slight or a big shift in terms of how uh, journalists and football journalists are perceived these days because they can't have the same amount of expertise about every club the way that the fans do. So whether you support Arsenal or Liverpool or United or Tottenham or whatever, you can you can get all the information about your club. You can watch the 90 minutes of every single game. And from yeah. there, you're informed and you make those decisions or you make uh, your your opinions, right? Whereas a journalist who has got to cover all the teams in the Premier League or at least the, the top teams, he can't possibly know all that there is to know or all that the fans know. So they come across as being, I don't want to say wrong, but perhaps not as informed as they should be. And I think that then plays into the way people talk to, to certain journalists online as if they don't know anything, which is not the case. They just don't know as much. And I think that the, that dynamic is really interesting. It's kind of, it's been a, a sea change because of the way that, that uh, club-specific media now exists that never really existed before beyond fanzines, for example. But now, you, you know, yeah. there's nothing you can't find out about your football club. No, that's a very good point. And I think uh, as football's become more available to watch, you know, that shifted. It used to be that football journalists had so much greater access. And they still do in some respects, I imagine, you know, in terms of uh, contacts and actually speaking to people of course, within yeah. the game, more, much more so than the average fan. They will have a, a greater depth of knowledge behind the scenes. But in terms of, you know, interpretation of the game itself... You know, your ordinary supporters got as much ability or capacity to do that in terms of access as mm. any journalist. And I think that has shifted the dynamic. And obviously, sites like your own, you mentioned George Bird, that there is now independent club-specific media where people can be satiated who are obsessive about one club, you know. And these people who do it professionally have to cover... Well, more than twenty, you know, they yeah. often work beyond the Premier League. So it, it is, a, it is a bit of a different ball game, if you pardon the pun. But and I, and I think that it's probably worth saying that although as fans we might perceive that these people are less informed than we might like, that does not warrant abuse. Right? No, no, of course. I'm just saying that it, it, it it's it is kind of the way it is now. And I think yeah. I think there's you know we can certainly uh, be aware of it. I think maybe as well there needs to be an awareness from certain sections of the media that this is just because you're writing for X newspaper or whatever doesn't make you 
more informed than the average fan because the average fan yeah. these days has so much uh, available to them and and can engage and you know on every level if you look at you know the the uh, the stuff that's available to us in terms of data in terms of statistics in terms of all those things that used to be the sole preserve of the big media organizations or the newspapers or the t- the TV companies broadcasters and what have you um, you know it's all available to the common man if you like. Um, and I think coverage of, of football needs to reflect that in a way, or certainly the way sir, some people engage with fans, if they choose to engage with fans at all. You know, you've got to you've got to uh, respect that fans have got this knowledge and got this information. Opinions, of course, are different. People's opinions are always going to be divisive, but it's worth bearing all that in mind. I think. But I think as well, there's probably a difference in the way that we digest it well there definitely is so let's say there's a certain journalist and he writes about i don't know all the premier league teams mm. we're not buying that newspaper in print in likelihood every day so we're not seeing the breadth of his work we're probably only clicking his arsenal related mm. work and making judgments about his capacity as a journalist based purely on those few pieces sure so i think that that's an interesting thing as well isn't it it's like we you know, we, we engage with what we want to engage with as fans, but there's probably more to some of these people than we necessarily anticipate. I think it is mm. it is a question of a bit of understanding on both sides. Yeah. And what is obviously a shame about this whole cup of tea uh, situation is that it has it has boiled over. But I do think it is worth stressing that as completely unacceptable as that is, it is it is a small minority, and most people are are very. Are, are capable of being very reasonable. <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean, look, you can be sarcastic and you can take the piss and you can, you know, you can have a little pop here and there, but you don't, you don't, you don't have to be abusive about it as well. Um, I like this a question just come in from uh, Andrew Reese at Andrew J Reese. He says, "What's your combined Daily Mail and Sun starting 11? <laughs> <laughs> definitely not, definitely yeah. not any of the Custis brothers. Anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, one final yeah, one, very quickly, pieces. very quickly. Uh, Darren, who's at DazClark89, says, Would you rather wear wet socks for the rest of your life or only be able to wash what's left of your hair once a year? Oh, uh, only wash my hair once a year. Because isn't there some mad thing where if you don't wash it for long enough, it starts self-cleaning or something yeah. magically? Have you yeah. heard about this? Yeah, I've heard. I've, I've heard people say that. I'm not sure how true it is. You know, the natural oils no, that you people smell, strip as a rule. <laughs> Yeah, they really smell those people. Yeah. But um, I, yeah, wet socks can't be doing with it. I think your feet would sort of start to rot slowly, yeah. wouldn't they? I think so. Yeah, you just get sponge foot or trench foot or something like that. Yeah, that would be sponge foot. Sponge foot. Yeah, yeah it'd be grim, really grim. Yeah, for me, the hair no, thing because no, you could just shave your hair off. Well, exactly. I mean, I, you know, I might as well. It's not a lot of hair. To, how much dirt can be trapped in this much hair? Yeah, it's true. You know I, I, mean? did, I did notice that your hair, you you seem to be growing it out a bit. Is this, uh, is this deliberate or are you yeah, just too I'm lazy? Yeah, growing it out. No, it's, it's a little bit born of laziness, but I am also just sort of, it's an experiment. It's an experiment to see what sort of condition it is. You know, when you keep it really short, mm-hmm. you don't really know what you've got. So I'm I'm having a look, see what I've got. Right. And then I'll see, probably See what can be done with it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm. You know, you do not. You, as Austin Wenger would say, you do not want to limit the potential of your hair. 
And do you think you're going to go into like a barber's like they do in, a, you know, a video game or when you're setting up your player in FIFA and you can just choose yeah. through all the various different hairstyles? I think, yeah, within a couple of weeks, I'll just be able to be like, I'll have a mohawk, please, yeah. or, or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm excited about that. Very excited. Okay. Well, I, I look forward to seeing the uh, to seeing the outcome of this uh, barber shop um, <laughs> endeavor of yours. Um, all Thank right. <laughs> well, look, we better leave it there. Thank you very much to everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Keep enjoying the 2-0 win over Tottenham because, you know, why the hell not? Um, we've got Cologne on Thursday, so I don't know what will happen with the uh, the podcast. We'll probably do something on Thursday evening, get something out Friday morning. We'll have that for you on Friday. James and I will be here next week uh, to talk about Burnley and all the rest. So until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.